Well, good morning, or as Renee put it, hang in. Are you hanging in? I, I guess we're hanging in. Uh, I've really enjoyed these last three weeks doing this little retro and going back. Because sometimes in life, you've got to look back in order to what? Move forward and go forward, you know. Well, this past uh, Wednesday morning, I was going to see my, uh, get my hair cut, and I went to see Heather. She's been cutting my hair for some 15 years, and I walk in, and I have a seat, and I sit down in the chair, and all of a sudden, right next to me, she's got this can that says on it, can you read in the front row, what's it say? It says, retro. She says, Dr. Ray, you need to go retro. You need to quit talking about it. You need to do it. You know, you, you need to maybe got get a, lot, a little perm going in the back back there, maybe a mullet or something or other. I mean, that'd be real retro for the series. And I said, not, you know. But sometimes in life, you need to look back to move forward. You need to look back to move forward. And maybe hindsight being 2020, maybe, maybe we should have had a, a retro Sunday. And everyone could have come to church kind of like dressed in the 70s, you know, or the 60s or the 80s, depending upon when you grew up. Um, you know, get out a retro Sunday. Matter of fact, we did that once for the uh, Borland Center. We did a, a tribute uh, concert, a Bee Gees concert in here, a fundraiser for the Borland Center. And we had to dress retro. Matter of fact, I think we got some pictures here. Here's Jan and I trying to be retro. It wasn't too retro, were we? You know, didn't really score, did we? Um, uh, Max and Kathleen, some of our elders. Now, that, that's retro. That's Max and Kathleen. And then we got another elder. Don't go there yet. You know, everyone know who Steve is? Steve Nestor and Lisa? Everyone loves Steve. He's our lead usher greeter. Here's a picture of Steve and Lisa, man. Whoa, yeah. You know, on second thoughts, if we all dress like that and come to church, it would not be a good idea. Would not be a good idea. But sometimes in life, you got to look back to move forward. And we've been, as a church, we've been looking back. We've been looking back to the early church, the first church, how they did the church. The early church, as we see in Acts chapter 2, in order for us as a church to, do, to move forward, to move forward in doing good, to move forward in, in loving each other, and really caring for each other, caring for our community. We at Palm Beach Community Church, we want to be a part of God's spiritual movement of truly changing the world. Just like in the uh, media for the last month or so, there's been a lot of media coverage about uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. It's 50 year, uh, 50th year anniversary happened this year. And um, that was given there on the Lincoln Memorial Steps. Powerful dream, powerful speech. I, I love that speech. I love reading it. I love hearing it. But Martin Luther King, and he would even tell you that his dream was really anchored in Jesus Christ. He was a Baptist preacher from Atlanta, and his dream was Jesus' dream. Jesus had a dream for his church, and whenever he talked about it, just like Martin Luther King, he talked about it with such enthusiasm. On one occasion, he said to this to his disciples, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He dreamed that upon his very own death and resurrection to build a spiritual community where their love would be contagious, where they would be doing and sharing life together and experiencing authentic community. He dreamed of a spiritual kingdom in which God's rule would reign supreme. Lives would be changed. Hearts would melt. Our differences would fade away. 
Love would be paramount. Needs would be met. The unwelcome would feel welcomed. And racial lines would disappear. Jesus had a dream. He had a dream to reach and transform this world through his church, through you, through me. And we need to understand something. The world in which Jesus entered was a very dark world. It was filled with hate. It was filled with elitism and pride and segregation and religious and political oppression. That's the world in which Jesus entered. And when he died and he came back to life again, 50 days after his resurrection, it was called the day of Pentecost. This dream of his came to fruition. The church of Jesus Christ was born. And the church truly is one of the most amazing facts of history. This is not conjecture on my part. This is historical fact. That within five centuries, Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. This, this so-called Jesus movement, which started in an obscure part of the Palestine in a relatively short period of time, transformed into a world religion with millions of followers spread out from India to the east, to Ethiopia and the south, to Britain and the west. The birth and growth of the church of Jesus Christ is undeniable. And today, over two plus billion people, almost a third of the world's population, claim some type of allegiance or following to Jesus. And you know, it's often said that the religion is just an expression of its culture. That's what critics often say. There's nothing supernatural there. It's just, it's just an expression of its culture. And you know, that might be true. When you look at Hinduism and Buddhism and, Jude and uh, Judaism and Islam. But it's not true when you look at Christianity. Christianity is radically different from the culture of its day. Christianity was, was radically inclusive in their worship. I mean, men and women worshiped together, Jew and Gentile, black and white, the free and the slaves, the highly educated and the uneducated, conservatives and liberals were all part of the same church. That would today would be like those who religiously watch Fox News, they worship with people who religiously watch MSNBC. And people that religiously watch MSNBC worship with people that love Fox News. I mean, this church was radical. It was radical. It was radically inclusive. It had this authentic community that was just so inviting and so compelling. So can we read once again? about this early church found in the book of Acts. You've got your electronic devices, your Bible. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verse uh, 41. Can we just stand out of respect for God's word? I'm going to read, and you just read out loud the highlight parts when we get to the highlight parts. Can we do that? So those who received his word, beginning of this chapter, Peter's preaching. He's preaching to a, a group of thousands. He, he preached, and they, they believed his word. They accepted his message, and they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Together now. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing it, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Thank you. So, what was it? What was it about this early church that made it just spread like wildfire throughout the Mediterranean world. There was just something astonishingly authentic in their inclusiveness of, of, of other people. It just drew people across all, all racial, cultural, economic, intellectual, and philosophical divides. There was just something contagious and authentic and real about this early church, about this first church. Now, week one of Retro, we talked about how they had this contagious love, how they unapologetically loved each other and they loved their community. Last week, we talked about how they kind of did life together, how they uh, 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 shared their lives together. And often they would do it around a meal. And a meal in Jesus' day was an expression of friendship. I mean, in Jesus' day, to do lunch with Jesus was to do theology, you know, and we need to get retro, and Brent did a phenomenal job last week, and Brent's coming on, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but since he's sitting right there, uh, Brent's going to be joining us as a pastor of community life here at our church, starts Monday, so we're excited about that, and yeah, you can clap, you know, um, and we probably shouldn't go there, now everyone's looking over there, we totally lost focus of the message, but that's all right. Um, we are excited about having Brent here, and I have no idea what I was talking about now. Um, with my ADD, I just totally got distracted here. What were we talking about? We talked about last week, right? And, um, and I love the, all the sitcoms we looked at, and we talked about how, how we long to do life together, and we love to share life together, and how the early church, they had that, and often it was around a meal. We talked about the Lord's Supper and having meals together, and how we need to go retro, and we talked about this great book that we've recently read, and the elders and the staff have all read, and we ran out of copies. We ordered some more. Um, we're selling it to you below our cost at the information kiosk. It's called A Meal with Jesus, and I would really encourage you to, to pick one of those up. Um, great book. Now, today we want to talk about authentic community, authentic community, and how the early church was just so connected together. And the bigger question we want to ask ourselves is why and then how can we have that authentic community here in our church? Now, I'd kind of like to begin by getting a little philosophical, all right? I'd like first to look at what I believe was the primary cause agent for the radical sense of community that the early church experienced. Now, besides the supernatural, we're going to look at the radical cause agent that helped create this authentic sense of community that the early church had. I find this fascinating. Some of you are going to be bored to death, I can tell already. You know, and, you know, just saying, you know, we got Discovery Land, you know, if, if you're bored, just say, okay. Um, 
Um, but let's, let's look at our text this morning, and let's answer this question. Where was, the, where was the early church meeting? What's it say in verse 46? Where were they meeting? Temple? And where? House to house and homes. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their, what's the word? Homes. They received their food with glad and a generous heart. A couple chapters over, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says this, And every day in the temple, and from where? House to house. They didn't cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. So the early church had these public places which they were meeting, and primarily it was to help make disciples. We see these messages through the book of Acts, and often they're proclaiming the gospel, the good news that there is a God and that God loves us, and he loves us so much that he sent his son to give us life. And then we find the church meeting in private places, and, and primarily the purpose there was to help grow disciples. It says they gather together in verse 42 in homes to, to teach and to learn and to grow in Christ. And I think we see this pattern taking place throughout the book of Acts. Some scholars refer to it as the apostolic model, the model, the strategy, the pattern of the disciples and how they did church. And I would add, how they did church so successfully. They did it in the temple. They did it in homes. By Acts chapter 5, we find this become the regular pattern. We find this becomes the, the regular meeting place of the early church. It's called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Portico. This new community, this gathering, because the church isn't a building, it's the people, right? And the church began to gather in Acts chapter 5. Verse 12 says this. And they were all together, all together. This new community, they're all together in Solomon's portico or Solomon's colonnade. This is the same place we talked about a couple weeks ago in, in uh, Acts chapter 3 where the lame beggar guy turns into the running, you know, praising guy. Um, that's the same place, the same area. It's often called the court of the Gentiles. Uh, on the eastern wall of the temple was this big roof structure with about, I think, three pillars, and it was an open space, and they called it the court of the Gentiles because the Gentiles, men and women, both could meet there, and that's where the Christian community begins to gather and to meet, and the, the disciples would stand in front of the people, and they would share the gospel, and then the, this new Christian community, they would go out and invite their friends back, and then the disciples would stand up and say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, as the church grew, it left this public place, you know, there at Solomon's Colonnade or at Solomon's Portico. And now we find it in other public places. You read through the book of Acts, you find it meeting of all places in a public place called the temple. You know, the synagogue, excuse me, in the synagogue. And there's all these little public places called synagogues scattered throughout Palestine. So now as the apostles go out, they begin to meet probably on Sunday. That's the day of the resurrection. That's when the church gathered and that's when we gather. And they were actually meeting in the temple. Acts uh, 14.1 says, Now at Iconium, they, referring to Paul and Barnabas, some of the first missionaries of the church, they entered together into the what? The Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both the Jews and the who? The Greek, the Gentiles, believed. This was a, a public service. The community was invited in, and the apostles would preach the good news. And this became the regular practice of the early church. This is how they do church. They would meet in a public place and they would proclaim the gospel. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 8 says, And then, or and he, Paul, he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when they became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, followers of Christ were called followers of the way, the way of Christ. Jesus was the way, the truth, and life. Followers of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them. He took the disciples, those who believed, with him. And then he reasoned daily in the hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This was a, he was a Greek philosopher. He had this public hall. And so Paul starts renting or using this hall for the Christian community, this new community, to gather together. This continued for how long? Two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Do you see the pattern here? First they're at Solomon's colonnade, then they were at the temple. Now they're at this Greek lecture hall. They're having public meetings. And the primary purpose of these public meetings was to help get the word out, to help proclaim the gospel. Now I find this really interesting. This will help you sleep better tonight. You ready? So wake back up if you're sleeping. You know, in the beginning of the book of Acts, you find the disciples going out and they're proclaiming the gospel and they say Jesus is the what? They're talking to a Jewish audience. Remember, Jesus was a what? He was a Jew, and his disciples were what? They were Jews, and they were talking to a Jewish audience. And when they would preach, they would say, Jesus is the what? He's the Christ. That's the word, anointed one, Messiah. Now, later in the book of Acts, when we see the disciples going out to preach, and now they're preaching to more of a Gentile audience, no longer do we find them as much saying Jesus is the Christ because the Gentiles, they might not even know anything about a concept of a Messiah. We find them saying Jesus is, A-plus students among us, Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. You read the, uh, the epistles and the letters uh, of the Bible, and often Paul, they refer to Jesus as the Lord. And, and that day, the culture, they would say Caesar is Lord. He's the curios. He's the sovereign one. And the Christian church, the Christian apostles and disciples, they'd say, no, Jesus is Lord. So it's the same message, but they were adapting it to their culture and to the audience. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. Often you find in a Bible, they say Jesus is the Christ. He's the Lord of lords. And it throws them both in there. All right, now you're going to sleep better tonight now? Okay, now it's even better. It's getting better. Because not only was the church having this public meeting, they were having, consistently, they were meeting together in homes to study the apostles' teaching, to pray together, to encourage one another, to grow in their faith. And we find this throughout the book of Acts. Whenever we see a congregation come together, we find them start meeting in each other's homes. Acts 20, 20 says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you, Paul speaking, anything that was profitable and have taught you in public and from where? House to house. This was the model of the early church and how they did church. They met publicly to help make disciples. They were meeting privately to grow disciples. And you see this in the church at Ephesus. You see this in the church of Corinth. You see this in the church of Rome. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 16, you find about 12 to 16 different small groups at that church in Rome. They were meeting in a large group, and then they were meeting in small groups. The apostolic model. This is how the apostles did church. Now, who do you think taught them this model? The answer is... 
when you come to church and you're not sure what the answer is, nine out of ten times, it's always the same answer. Jesus, right? In Sunday school, the kids learn that real quick. They're a little smarter than us. Okay, um, so from where, from whom did they learn this apostolic model? Jesus. Jesus was known as being a friend of sinners. He was radically inclusive. He loved people. He met them where they were at. He'd even go to their homes, the homes of a, of a notorious sinner like uh, Zacchaeus. He was a friend of sinners. He was meeting publicly all the time, large group gatherings. And then where was Jesus spending most of his time? In homes. He was meeting with this small group, these 12 guys. All the time they're, they're trying to get away, you read in the scriptures, to spend some time together. He knew it was so important to, to spend some time one-on-one, face-to-face with these 12 guys. Now, I think this is just so important. Because today, we know that people grow the most in small groups. Today, we know that participation is the key to your growth and development. That's not in your notes. I encourage you to write that down. Participation is the key to your spiritual growth and development. The more you participate, the more you will learn and grow in life. Now, let me just illustrate this with my own life, if, if you give me a, a couple minutes here. I grew up here, 708 Pelican Way, North Palm Beach, went to Alamanda Elementary School, and I'm 35, so that was back in the 80s, right? And, um, and back in the 80s, or in the 60s, the teachers were kind of like always on strike. We had class sizes of 30 plus, we were putting grades together, and, and truth would be told, you know, I didn't learn much in elementary uh, school years, and and, uh, and to be completely, totally honest, uh, maybe the problem was all me. As I've shared with you before, I mean, I've got a learning disability called ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder. Now, my wife would tell you that i got some other deficits and some other disorders as well as ADD. She would say that I have HDD. How many of you men have HDD, Husband Deficit Disorder? How many of you guys got that one, you know? Uh, which means whatever you do is not good enough. How many of you guys have that one? You know, what, whatever it is, you know, it's never, it's never good enough. That's called HDD, husband, husband deficit disorder. Well, I had that one as well. And I, and I went to Alamanda, and then I went to Hal Watkins, and then I got into high school and went to a private school, had all these hours, so I transferred over to Gardens High School. And while I was at Garden High School, I was so far ahead, I, I, you know, I started going to college part-time. So I started taking some classes that's known today as Palm Beach State College. It was called Palm Beach Community College. Last semester, I was through school early, went to Palm Beach uh, State College. And, and when I went to Palm Beach State College, man, they'd have 60, 80 people in class. And I'd never raised my hand. Really, nobody ever did, you know. And I uh, didn't ever participate much. Matter of fact, you know, just, just saying that, you know, some, some of the students would, would come to school and the professor would say, ask for roll, and someone in the back of the class would say, here for you, and the professor wouldn't even know if you're not there. Now, I, I would never do something like that, but just saying, you know, um, students did that, and, and the professor didn't even know if you weren't there because there's just so many people. And then after uh, going away to college and going to Crichton and finishing my college in about three years, um, I went on and did my master, my graduate work at Mid-America Seminary. And at seminary, our class sizes were about 12 to 24 students, you know. And it was really difficult if you decided to skip class to get one of the seminarian students to say here for you. It, it didn't work. Just, just saying, 
You know, you're supposed to kind of like be honest in seminary. And, um, but in seminary, man, I, I started participating a lot more, started asking my questions. And then I finished that, and I went on and I did doctoral studies. Um, would attend what they would call doctrinal seminars. And in, before you go to that seminar, you'd have to read about 3,500 to 5,500 pages before the class. And these classes were about 6 to 12 people in these classes. And when you went to class, you had to take a stance on your position and, and debate it with your classmates. And it would get intense sometimes. And these professors, I mean, they were scholars. They, they, they liked it that way, you know. Now, where do you think I learned the most? In my doctrinal studies. Where do you think I grew the most spiritually? In my doctrinal studies. And it's kind of well known today that the more you participate in the educational process, the more you will learn. That's why it's so much more emphasis today on smaller class size. Right? We hear about it all the time. Because life change happens best in the context of a small group. And that might very well be the reason why Jesus chose 12 disciples and not 24, or 36, or 48. 12 was probably the ideal number to give everyone a chance to participate. And participation is the key to your spiritual growth and development. We know that for a fact today in the church and education. We know that. Jesus knew it way back then. And that's why he spent so much time in his small group his group of 12 men. Now, let me state the obvious. It's very difficult for you to participate during the learning time on Sunday mornings, right? I mean, you can participate when we worship, but when the message comes, you know, I, I try really hard, don't I, to get you to participate? I mean, we have these fill-ins. Why do you think we have these fill-ins? It's to get you to do what? Say the word. Participate. Why do you think I ask you to repeat back what I'm saying? To get you to do what? To participate. Because I know, as an educator, I know that if your life is going to change, the more I can get you to participate, the more likely you're going to take something home with you. And I know some of you sit there the whole time, you don't participate, and you take nothing home with you. you know, but, but I try really hard. But the truth be told, you can't really participate during my message. I mean, you could. You could start asking questions and debate back and forth, but our ushers would come down and escort you out. Because it would be very disruptive. So the truth of the matter is, the greatest place for you to grow, the greatest place for you to bring about change and for you to become more like Jesus Christ, the truth is, it's not here on Sunday morning. It's in a group. It's in a group. And that's why we value these groups so much. That's why we strongly believe, why I strongly believe that Jesus did ministry in a small group. Because he knows what we know now, that your participation is the key to your spiritual growth and development. And spiritual growth happens best in the context of a small group. So we have a question this morning. The question is, are we willing to go retro? Are we really willing to do life and do ministry the way Jesus did life and ministry? Are we willing to do life and ministry the way the apostles did life and ministry? Do we really want to be the church that Jesus Christ wants us to be? If the answer is yes, we want to go retro. We've got two critical life choices to make today. Number one is this. 
I can choose to pretend or I can choose to be real. Acts 2 verse 44 says, And all who believed, they were together. And they had what? All things in common. Rich or poor, black or white, Jew or Gentile, we all have struggles if we're real. We all have problems. We all have needs. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I find it very interesting that the early church knew about each other's needs. And they were doing something about it. They were taking off their mask and being real. And they were allowing people to meet each other's needs. There was a sense of community, authentic community there. And the truth is, you know, on Sunday morning, you know, I mean, let's be honest. We kind of all wear masks a little bit. We pretend. You know, I got my best jeans on. I mean, we, we want to look good, don't we? You know, we don't want others to see our flaws and our weaknesses. But in a small group, like the early church, you can kind of take off your mask. You can be real. You can let down your guard. You can turn your chair towards each other and be honest about your life. And we can share our hurts and reveal our feelings and confess our failures and disclose our doubts and admit our fears and acknowledge our weakness. And we can ask for prayer and for help. We all need a safe place where we can be real and authentic. The world is starving for a place like that. As Brent did such an incredible job last week. Why do you think all these sitcoms are all about having meals and being together? Because we all long for that. We all long for what Jesus wants the church to be and to do. To be an authentic community that loves and supports and meets each other's needs. We want that. But it's only when we become honest about our lives that we experience authentic community and really grow. If you want to grow, you got to get real. The Apostle John put it this way. But if we walk in the light, if we walk, is a word metaphor for like live, if we live in the light, we live in the truth, if we're honest with ourselves and choose to expose ourselves, if we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, we have what? Fellowship. We connect with each other, one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, you know, if we're in denial, if we're not honest with ourselves, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, the truth is not in us. We live a self-deceived life. You see, our culture thinks intimacy occurs in the dark, but God says it happens in the light. Darkness is like a mask. It's used to hide our hurts and our faults and our fears and our failures and flaws. But in the light, we bring them out into the open. We admit who we really are, and it feels so good. It feels so good to be real and to be honest and to be truthful. And to meet with others that will walk with you through the hard and difficult times in your life. So you can walk with them. We were created to live in the light. Our hearts yearn for that. Our hearts yearn for heart to heart, soul to soul, deep growing relationships with each other. But that can only happen when we make the critical choice to be real. And to do life in community with others.
So if we want to go retro, you got a choice to make this morning. A choice. I choose to pretend or I choose to be real. Number two, second choice. I can choose to walk alone or I can choose to walk with others. Can you say that with me? I can choose to walk alone. Now, without knowing it, many of us this morning, we're walking alone. Many of us are walking down a road where we're becoming a little more isolated, a little more disconnected from others, a little more isolated, a little more disconnected from those we love the most, a little more isolated, a little more disconnected from God. And maybe it's because of the pace of our lives. I mean, let's be honest, we just seem to always be going somewhere and doing something. We're just too busy. We're just too busy for a small group. We're just too busy to focus on growing and developing our souls. And if you're too busy to focus on growing and developing your soul, my friend, you're too busy. And I've been too busy too. I've been guilty of the same thing. I haven't been in a group like I used to be in a group all the time because I've just been so stinking busy. And I've been seeing my own soul die. As I withdraw, you know, I moved into this house. You know, we bought this foreclosure and we fixed it up. And we had a man's cave. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so cool. I got, finally got a room and place to myself. I've moved out of the man's cave. I was just in there all by myself. I didn't like it anymore. I was getting lonely in that man's cave. Now, maybe some of you men just like it that way. I don't know, but I was dying in that man's cave. I came out. My wife tried to send me back in. I said, no, you know, I don't want to be in that man's cave. And some of us are just so busy and we're going and going. And when we come home, we just collapse. And what we're doing, and we don't even realize it, we're slowly isolating ourselves from life. Or maybe it's a past pain. Maybe a good friend has walked out of our lives. And subconsciously, you don't like that hurt, and you don't want to hurt like that again. So you just kind of slowly pulled away from doing life in a group. Or maybe, let's be honest, some of you maybe had a bad small group experience. You know, you're in a group and you're excited about it, but in that group you had someone, you know, that someone that, quote, needed a lot of help, and they were kind of like sucking the life out of the group and sucking the life out of you, you know, and, and you told yourself, you know what, I'll never do that again. Look at verses 46 and 47. And day by day, attending day by day in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and, and praising God and having favor, get this, with all the people. Not just the church people, they were gaining favor with the unchurched people. People with struggles and people with problems and people with pains. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. People were choosing to do life with them day by day, meeting together in homes, having meals together. And I find it fascinating that today we know the facts. Sociologists have done the study. Those of us who choose to do life in groups, those of us who choose to build and develop better friendships, they know four facts today. They're healthier, happier, more successful in their job, and they live longer. They have proven that to be true today. Sociologists have found those people who give more time to building relationships, they are healthier, happier, more successful in their job, and they live longer. See, the truth of the matter is most of us give our lives and our time to two things. I mean, every single day of our life, you know what we do? We achieve and we connect. That's what you're doing right now. You're achieving and connecting. We go through life, we're trying to achieve, we're trying to be more successful, we're trying to take care of our family's needs. We're always trying to achieve and connect. Connect and achieve, achieve and connect. 
Those two things is what we try to do. And what happens if we're not careful? Number one priority becomes achieving. And when your number one priority in life is to achieve, guess what happens? You stop connecting. And then your whole life goes to whack. You know, and you lose your marriage, you lose your wife, you lose your kids, you lose your job. Because you got out of focus. You need to make the number one priority in your life to connect. And then you'll achieve. Let me ask you this way. How many of you want great friends? Can I see your hand? How many of you want great friends in your life? Now, just keep them up there because I, I just got to be honest. If you don't have your hand up, you probably need to get some counseling. Okay. We, we, we all should want friends or something's really wrong. We're disconnecting. Okay. Um, now, how many of you want financial stability and success? Can I see your hand? Now, all of you are raising your hand. Okay. Uh, we, we, we all should want a little more cash in the bank. We all want financial security. Now, now how many of you want both? Great friends and financial success. I finally got everybody's hand up. All right, great. If you want both, you better develop great friends first. I want to give my life. I want to give my time. I want to give myself to relational greatness like the early church did. And I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to join me in going retro and doing life in community, authentic community, doing life in a small group because life echoes back what we give out. And when we give out, when we're there for somebody else, they will be there for us. You see, we all have time issues. We all have life demands. But God is saying the early church, they prioritize meeting together from house to house. They were involved in each other's lives. And some of us this morning, we're just going too fast. We're just going too fast. And you need to choose to slow down. You need to choose to walk with others, to meet with others on a regular basis. You see, relationships are important. Loving God is important. Loving each other is important. But some of you are living for a lesser dream. You're just living for that superficial dream of success. And you think if you just get a little more success and a little more this and a little bit more that, then you'll be happy. And you won't be happy if you don't do it with people. You never are. You know, if Jesus prioritized the church, if Jesus gave his life for the church, if the early church prioritized and they gave their life and they gave their time for each other in groups, shouldn't I be making that choice? Shouldn't you be making that choice? Shouldn't all of us figure out a way to do life in authentic community? Can we bow our heads in prayer? This morning, I invite you to pray with me. Can you right now pray and say, God, I choose to be real? You pray that to yourself. God, I choose to walk with others. God, help me to live for your dream and give myself to doing life in authentic community. Some of you need to pray this morning, man. You're like me. You've, you know, you've, got, you've gotten away from retro. You've gotten away from the basic. You need to pray right now and say, God, help me to get into a small group. God, help me to get in a group. God, help me to grow. 
Help me to participate, not just be a consumer, but, but a giver. Can you pray this morning, God, help me to do life in deep community with you and with others. And maybe this morning you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe this morning right now where you're at, man, you need to believe the gospel that God loves you. And he sent Jesus to die for you. And right now you need to say, Christ, I acknowledge my sin and I invite you to come into my life. And change me. God, we're so grateful this morning that you just didn't show up on the scene and check out, not tell us what to do. God, you've given us a model. You've given us an example. God, help us to follow it. God, help us to grow. Help us to give priority to relationships and, and to give priority to the development of our soul by doing life in authentic community with other believers. God, help us to make that choice this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you came in this morning in that program, there is this this comment card. Renee referred to it earlier. I'd like you to grab it again. A minute we're going to take the offering. And if you are our guest, all we want you to put in this offering basket is this comment card. Tell us how you found out about Palm Beach Community Church. We always appreciate that. But most importantly on the card, it says here, my next step to grow spiritually. We've got some steps that you can choose to make to grow spiritually. One, if you prayed to receive Christ, we've got a Bible and a book we'd like to give you at the information kiosk. No questions asked. Mark that. Please go by and pick that up. Today, I choose to be real. I choose to walk with others by joining an alpha group. And your programs have listed about some 25 different groups that you can choose from. And you can put down a number. If you're not sure which group is best for you, mark the third box. And uh, Brent or Mary Beth will give you a call this week and help you find a group in your neighborhood, and your community, help you get connected. Or better yet, join us today at about 12.15 for lunch. We've got lunch up there, and we're gonna, you'll have a chance to meet a lot of these growth group leaders. And we'd love to have you join us in one of these growth groups. So hope you take a minute, fill that out, and uh, be a part of um, the great thing that God wants to do in our church, which is retro. It's doing life together. Uh, at this time, as our ushers come to uh, receive the offering, uh, let's, let's pray, can we? God, it's so beautiful to see the early church. And how they really cared for each other. How they really met each other's needs. How they really sacrificed their own stuff for others. God, I pray that you'll help us to be that kind of church. That really gets involved in giving and sharing and caring for one another. God, help us not just to run through life. Help us to slow down and to connect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.